We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Thirty Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's new TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined by... Simon Howell. And how's it going, Simon? I've been worse. Okay, that's good. That's, uh, you know, cheery and optimistic, a good way to start off the podcast. This week we're going to do the standard go through the week and talk about the different shows that we've been watching and then do an episode spotlight on the Breaking Bad episode Salud from this week, which was pretty great. And then we're going to conclude with a DVD shelf look at news radio with our guest host, uh, Paul Goebel from the Paul Goebel Show. So it's going to be a, a full cast. We ran long last week. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the Goebel, the Goebel piece is is amazing, but it, that also is a bit on the long side, so... Hopefully we're, it, it, we, it might just be a thing. Like we're going to, we're going to aim for a certain time and it's never just, it's never going to happen. So you're just going to have to get used to a long podcast. But if we do our jobs, that won't happen. Yeah. Hopefully we'll keep it to an hour and a half. Victory will be ours. Though I would do want to mention that we are putting chapter breaks into the, the podcast. So if you're listening on an iPod or on iTunes, you can skip ahead to the shows that you want to listen to or hear our coverage of, especially if there's shows that you're, you know, a week behind, you don't want to get spoiled. That can be a good way to, 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 to approach that. So hopefully it'll, we'll keep, have a tight ship, nice and pithy reviews. So I wanted to mention at the top, we have some fun stuff coming this week at the website. Um, I'm going to do a look at at high school television shows and play with some data. There, there are going to be charts. Yeah. There's a pie graph. I'm pretty proud of it. I love that data is your idea of fun. Yeah. Well, I, what can I say? I'm a huge dork. It's it's uh, it's co- collating data is more entertaining than it, than it probably should be. I, I admit so. Um, but yeah, we had some nice comments last week on some of our reviews, and I have, have my uh, top TV cops list up so people can check that out and let us know what you think. And of course, Simon, you have your Breaking Bad reviews up at the site. Uh, yes, they 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 go up at about 3 a.m. Eastern uh, <laughs> on the night that that Breaking Bad airs, uh, and that those have been that, that's been a very rewarding uh, process following the season. But we're we're going to get to that later. Let's go ahead and kick off the week. On Tuesday, we have the Ringer pilot. This has been getting pretty hardcore panned, I would say. Mm-hmm. Where where did you fall down on this one? What, what do you think of it? Well, you know, being a, a a newfound Buffy fan, I was I was sort of excited for this, especially because I actually thought the promo was pretty decent, albeit it looked like it was insanely complicated. And what I thought from watching the the promo was okay what they've done is they've taken clips from maybe the first three or four episodes and they're giving us like a little bit of a preview of the arc that's not what they did (laughs) what they did was they took every single aspect of of the show's like master narrative or or i don't know at least they took way too many aspects and shoved it all into this insanely overstuffed overplotted clumsy exposition full pilot which was just 
no fun to watch. So you're you're right there with the rest of the critics then. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, you know, it looks nice. It's, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's no racism, which shouldn't be a, something that we have to comment on, but this <laughs> season it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, some of the cast is good, although maybe not who you'd expect. It seems like there are interesting things they could do with the. I mean, you know, the show has this. It, it is anchored around this idea of of twins, and you know, one is fortunate, one is not so fortunate, and it just feels like they take this very this very soap opera premise and they don't elevate it. They just sort of do every hackneyed thing with it that you expect them to do, and it just feels dumber than it has to be. I think is 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 my problem with it. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I see where you're coming from. I didn't have anywhere near the problems with this pilot that everybody else seems to have. I thought Sarah Michelle Gellar was surprisingly bad with her acting, and she's she's much better than this. She can be much better than this, at least. So I don't know how much of that is her or the direction, and the script certainly wasn't doing her any favors. Um, however, I still think that they're trying to do something, and when it's going to have to slow down the second, third, fourth, the, the, the episodes are going to have to slow down with what, you know, the pace and all the story, you know, where everything's going. So I, I'm definitely going to check it out next week and see what the show will be like more on a week to week basis. Cause I think they got too ahead of themselves wanting to, to have a big splashy premiere. And, and so I think that's what a lot of the problem is. So yeah, so I'm still going to keep checking it out. I like some of the performances. Uh, others, I'm hoping, will get better. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to need some serious retooling, I think, if it's going to write the course after that. Uh, I mean, I just know, just none of the dialogue really really sparkled, uh, which is something that, that especially Geller can do a lot with, and there here there's just none of that. There's no real wit. Uh, they stack the deck in terms of things like having both sisters be in trouble, with you know various criminal elements and i don't know we'll we'll see where it's headed but i'm not feeling optimistic are you gonna check out any more are you gonna wait and kind of see what the word is before you dig jump back in i'll see how i feel tonight see if i see how i feel about the prospect of, of, of watching another 51 minutes okay um so next on wednesday i watched again another episode of the hour uh, it's episode five of six and the it continues to be a strong show i i'm not huge on the romance angle that they have going on right now um, with Dominic West character, but everybody on the show is very charismatic. I, I really like the history element to it. Like I said last week, yeah, I'm a history buff. And so seeing late fifties, England, you know, the whole crisis over the Suez canal and are, is England going to go to war uh, with Egypt and, and Israel and all that, you know, with Israel and France involved. Um, so it, that stuff is very interesting to me. The conspiracy censorship stuff, I think, is is good. We'll see if the conspiracy pays off in the, the finale next week. We'll see if it's... Because right now I have a feeling that it's not going to be good enough to warrant the buildup that we got. But we'll see what happens. Anyways, it's it's been a lot of fun and I would definitely recommend it to anybody who wants to go back and catch up with the the previous five weeks and we'll see what the we'll see what the finale does um next wednesday um also top chef just desserts i really oh i had so much fun with top chef this week because they did a willy wonka episode so they abandoned the traditional quick fire they just didn't do one and instead they spent the whole time on the actual challenge which was to to make a wonka 
Wonderland. So they had the original four kids from Willy Wonka uh, and the uh, the Chocolate Factory and and had them come in and be the judges and then the, just watching all the, the the chefs just light up with glee when they found out that they got that's what the challenge was and that's what they got to do because for so many of these of these chefs this is their favorite movie of all time and one of the things that inspired them to to want to become a pastry chef and so to watch them just really get to play with it was a lot of fun and i'm hoping that they do this every year it becomes sort of like restaurant wars like a staple i mean we'll see if they do or not but I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, they had an edible beehive. They had an edible carrot patch. They they they, they did the the wallpaper, the edible <laughs> wallpaper thing. It was like the schnozberries tasted like schnozberries apparently, and uh, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. When I read about the Wonka theme, I thought, did they just call Kate and ask what she wanted to do this week? Because yeah, I mean, I'm not even that huge of a Willy Wonka. Like, I like the movie, but. But yeah, just the, the the fun and the creativity that they brought to it was really infectious. So it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, after uh, after watching that Top Chef, which was so much fun, it was time to watch the Hater Pilot, which is somehow worse than I expected it to be. I had really low hopes for this one. I was expecting it to be terrible and. Uh, offensive in in some ways to to just on the fact that this is a show that's on television and this is a show that people are getting paid lots of money to make when there are lots of great ideas creative people who can't get a job but yeah it managed to be worse than that so when they're when you're when your expectations are that low can you really call them hopes yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Yeah, you're probably right on that. It's almost more like a like a, like a premonition, like something <laughs> something more more dreadful. Could you explain to me the basic concept of hater? The premise is that uh, well, Mario Lopez is the host, and so what they do is they find people who are haters with an eight, at least for the title card. They they interview people or they get trick people into thinking they're going on a game show or something to talk about a celebrity that they hate. And they get them to shoot their mouth off about some celebrity, and they record them with hidden cameras talking and bashing um, a celebrity. And uh, then they bring in the celebrity at, to confront their hater, and then they spend the day together with the hope that the hater will see the real person, not the not the version they see on TV or whatever. And that they will turn from a hater into a fan or a friend or something like that. Yeah, it's basically a way for people who come off as douchebags in, in in their public persona to show another side to their character without actually having to change or do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think a, a large part of my brain just turned itself off in the middle of that description. Yeah, that's about and, right. And, 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 went, and went into another room to shoot itself. Yeah. That just sounds like the worst thing I can imagine. Yeah, it's actually a little worse than that when you actually watch it. It's, but it doesn't help that it's an hour long. Maybe if it was 22 minutes, it would be less incredibly frustrating. But it's a full hour and yeah. So let's just move on because it's not a happy place to dwell. So let's go to... Um, let's go to the other pilots from that night. So we had the Up All Night pilot followed by Free Agents. So what did you think of, of these two shows? You know, what's funny, uh, based on the promos and the casts, uh, you know, this is, it's sort of, you know, NBC's two big new comedy pilots for the for the year. And uh, I was really expecting to dislike Free Agents and be a big fan of Up All Night. And 
it's I mean neither blew me away, but I surprised I was surprised to find myself enjoying free agents a little bit more. Uh, I think that there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, I think uh, Azaria and Han, um, I think they're a really likable pair. Uh, I think they, they're they're quite funny. I like that there's actually a little bit of uh, of, of wit and snap to the dialogue and the performances in, in free agents that I wasn't necessarily getting from other sitcoms, especially with uh, Anthony Stewart head popping in there. Um, I think with up all night, I mean, uh, as I think I mentioned last week, uh, swearing at, at young children is a very good way to get me to chuckle. Um, when you do it 20 times, it becomes marginally less funny. Uh, but you know, and maybe this is a personal thing, but just the insane levels of privilege that are involved in up all night, but rankle a little. I mean, just the, the fact that we're supposed to feel for these two insanely rich white people, uh, you know, who have a baby to raise and, and, you know, and then, and then they basically hang out with Oprah Winfrey all day, except she's played by Maya Rudolph. And I don't know, it just, the, the, it was so, it was so conflict free. It's, it was too breezy and it seemed like there was such a lack of, friction or at least friction that I could possibly care about. So for me that, that, that also ended up draining the laughs. So I, I mean, we'll see where it goes. I mean, obviously it was, it was retooled thanks to the whole Maya Rudolph is famous, really, really famous now thing. Uh, so we'll see where it's headed. I'm hoping they can come up with, uh, something to make it a little bit, uh, you know, up the comedic tension a little, which I'm not really getting right now. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from with with Up All Night. I, I still enjoyed it more than Free Agents. I think there's a I think there's a promising, solid show there. I really like the just the the dynamic between the three main characters, the the main cast. I thought that they played off of each other well. Um, I think the stuff with with Maya Rudolph and her new role uh, is not as solid as the, you know the the domestic side of things but i think that'll be interesting to to watch as as they uh get more have more time developing that character and figuring out now that they're no longer doing pr and are doing the talk show thing like what that's going to mean for the for, for the work for the workplace side of things for me the the reason that i liked it more than free agents was you know, while, while I do enjoy the actors on Free Agents, particularly um, Tony Head, who I think is, is has a lot of promise on on Free Agents, I'm tired of funny alcoholism on 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 shows. Uh, I mean, Cougar Town they do that all the time, but the difference, I mean, why it doesn't bother me on Cougar Town is that first of all, it's incredibly self aware about that element to the show, and also the the characters aren't drinking to drown their sorrows. They're drinking to have fun, and it's because you know for that. So they're you know it's not like they they need to use alcohol to to mask their emotions. Whereas on this, it was supposed to be funny when when uh, Catherine Hahn was buying what was it like six or eight bottles of wine for one night, and that's not funny to me. That's just that's sad and. <laughs> <laughs> and not funny, pathetic, like three bottles of wine, two bottles of wine, three, that's funny, pathetic, sad. The, you know, just the notion of her w- with that much wine is that's <laughs> destructive. And I don't think that's funny. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought that was funny. I mean, I, I, it's funny because each pilot has like a pet issue that 
<laughs> that that we're taking. We're, we're, we we have these personal things that we're taking out on on each on each respective pilot. I mean, I th- I think uh, you know, like most pilots, certain things are overdone. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, and yeah, you, you know, it's right. That's true. She doesn't have to buy eight bottles of wine, but I mean, she's a widow. You know, she's a pretty she's a pretty intense character in that sense. Uh, but she's got such a funny presence that I think the juxtaposition of like the intense sadness and the ridiculous alcoholism levels and her sort of like wacky demeanor, I think is 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 an interesting uh, mix, especially with Azaria, who's also a total sad sack, uh, and is very funny doing that. Um, I, I I don't know I I I had much more I had a much more paradoxically fun time watching these two super damaged people than I did watching Up All Night. Well, we'll see how it goes over the next, you know, few weeks and how they're able to to develop over the over the course of time. I, you know, it's hard to judge with pilots because as I was watching these, you know, I was it was occurring to me I wasn't laughing very much. I was like, oh, man, this no, neither of these seemed that great. And then I was reminded of the fact that I hated the 30 Rock pilot and the Parks and Rec pilot and the Community pilot. None of them were funny to me and... Uh, all of them were shows that were getting so much buzz that I, I checked out the pilot and then said, oh, well, this show is terrible. And it took me in like a year to hear that it was actually good to in order to go back and, and really give the show a shot. So, you know, it's, p- comedy pilots are hard. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, But moving on with pilots, we have Thursday. We have the Secret Circle pilot. Now, did you end up catching this one? No, I didn't have time for the Witch Diaries, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's an interesting one in that it's okay. It's fine. It's it has good elements. It has strong things going on. The the main characters are for the most part very likable and well cast. It's nice to see Natasha Henstridge because I I enjoyed her very much on Eli Stone and in some of her other previous work. Um, so it's nice to see her pop up here. But every time that I started to get invested in the show and be like, oh maybe I'll be checking this one out, uh, it would do something incredibly cliche and stereotypical teen soap drama thing uh, and and that pulled me right back out there's a really nice like kind of spooky melody which is their main melodic idea i guess but then so i was like oh, okay nice music but then as soon as they got to the the teen angst drama stuff the terrible overscoring uh came in and so yeah i mean i think if people like the teen drama you know, genre, then they, they'll like this one. If they like, you know, the idea of of a coven and it's teenagers and their dark secrets and everybody's very, there's like a, a love tetrahedron or something. Um, <laughs> if that sounds interesting and fun, I think people will like it. It wasn't good enough for me to, to really hook me in the way that, for example, the Supernatural pilot, when I finally got around to watching it, really hooked me. You know, I think it's it's what kind of what people expect and it's well done considering Mm -hmm. but you did catch the we did catch the whitney pilot which uh found its way to us via the interwebs so what did you think of whitney it's one of the biggest new like most heavily pushed new pilots so isn't you know what did you what did you think um (laughs) again with the uh expectations so low can you still call them expectations uh i as i think i mentioned last week i do not find whitney cummings funny as a comedian, um, so I wasn't expecting much from her as a series lead slash uh, she also penned the pilot, uh, and she pretty much rose to the occasion to my expectations. I, I, I didn't find much to like about, about Whitney, the, the pilot. I still find her pretty charmless. 
Um, it's one of it's it's one of the two pilots uh, that she's involved in uh, this uh, this season, and I found both of them to be really straining for edginess and straining for you know risque humor, and it's more often raunchy than it is funny, and it, you know it, it can't manage both. Uh, you know, a, a couple of lines here and there, usually not delivered by her character, sort of elicit a chuckle, but not really. It's got an awful laugh track. Uh, it, did, it did very little for me. For me, what struck me more than anything else was the laugh track. And it reminded me almost of uh, when I would try to get my friends to watch Sports Night, which is a show that I, I enjoy very much. But when I would try, I would I could get them to watch other shows. But when I would try to get them to watch Sports Night, they weren't wouldn't be able to make it past the first like eight episodes that have a terrible laugh track that kind of kills everything in it. Um, and that's kind of what I felt in it, watching this pilot. I thought that it was you know, it was a lot better than I expected. I had such low expectations. It actually I thought it was just okay. It wasn't worse than that. But I think the laugh track kills any of the comedic momentum that they're able to start building. Because the timing, it just is off then. And I don't know. I think it could become something if they're able to work out some of the kinks. It could become, you know, I think a stereotypical, mediocre kind of show. Whitney Cummings is a lot more likable than I expected. Um, but yeah, it's still, there's there's a lot of problems. But didn't it feel like a lot of it just felt so half-assed to me? Like, she's a photographer. And then, like, when you see her at work, it it just doesn't feel remotely plausible or real. She's just in someone's apartment taking some pictures with a very average looking camera. I don't know. Like it, it didn't feel, it, it felt like the whole premise was I will be in this show and I will write, you know, mediocre to bad jokes and I will deliver them as, you know, in my usual persona. And there's really not much more thought than that. Now, I didn't think that that was actually her at work. I thought that that was her doing a favor for a friend. But I mean, we'll we'll have to see what what happens with it. Or I mean, I guess not. Are you gonna watch any more of it? Or are you out? Oh, uh, I I think I'm out. But I mean, you know, if 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 you're keeping up, I might exercise some solidarity. But yeah, I, I probably will uh, will not follow it for a while. It's one of those ones that I'll that if it you know if if I hear that it improves, then I'll go back and and catch up with it. But um, the, you know, Thursdays are just so packed with other shows that I would rather watch. So yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of other shows that I would rather watch, how about Always Sunny? Yes, uh, they went all in <laughs> this week. Uh, yes, holy they did. Crap. Uh, so you know, it's not too many shows that I that I get excited about returning for their seventh season, mm-hmm. especially uh, comedy series, and they're they haven't necessarily been going from strength to like they, um, each season has been better than the next or or anything. But I did I did think last season was really strong. And uh, this season, I mean, Max gained 50 pounds just because he thought it would be funny, which is some real comic devotion that you don't see so much nowadays. We should specify that uh, Mac, the the show creator and writer, thought it would be funny. Mac, the character within the show, just has let himself go. <laughs> right. Is, doesn't think it's funny at all. You know, I, I didn't think this was necessarily their, their greatest episode or anything, but I think it had a couple of moments <laughs> <laughs> that will go down in Always Sunny history. And if nothing else, uh, the, the two in particular, I mean, uh, Charlie and his blood capsule <laughs> incident in in the cab, uh, that is, 
it, that was sh- uh, an incredibly shocking moment and and very funny. Thankfully, it didn't turn out to be a bit of consumption, like he said. And like the, the fact that it's fake blood, I think, is is a is a key component. But I I, I felt like you know I just imagined that moment in the in the in the writing room when they were like, hey. Remember Pretty Woman? Remember how little sense that made? <laughs> you, you know, and the fact that it's that it's twenty years old doesn't doesn't bother them at all. Mm-hmm. It's, and that's one of the great things about the show is there's a, this weird sense of timelessness to their uh, to their humor. And I think it's going to be one of those series that's that's going to age very well for that. And I mean that closing shot also was was a thing of beauty. Yeah, I I've gotten away from Always Sunny in the past couple seasons because I felt like it was getting too too repetitive and just I stopped caring about the characters and you know and which is a strange thing to say on a show where all the characters are so incredibly despicable but it they stopped being interesting to me um so I checked back in because of the you know hearing about McElhaney's utter destruction of his body for the in the name of uh, comedy so I checked back in and I'm actually rather glad I did I I'm not 100% on the episode I didn't necessarily uh, think that everything worked, but like you said, they went all in, and I appreciate that sort of commitment to to an idea. I thought that Alana Ubach or uh, Ubich or I don't know exactly how to pronounce her name. Uh, Who played the whore? The whore, Roxy, uh, was I thought she was hilarious. I thought that was an excellent portrayal, and I, I like that they had the callback to Dennis and Dee being hooked on crack. Thought that was pretty hmm. hilarious, and uh, yeah. Yeah, just I think it's gonna be fun to watch a season of Fat Mac. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think any anything that involves um, Frank and Charlie, mm-hmm. I think is is just instant gold. Everything from the from the you know, the blood capsules to the boiled denims. Yeah, uh, I think they pretty much can't go wrong. Some of the other elements were sort of hit and miss, uh, or or they needed more time to to to, to uh, develop. Mm-hmm. But uh, and yeah, and like you said, and they do a great job with guests. I mean, I just thinking back, thinking back to people like Marilyn Raskib, Raskib, yeah, or Raskib, Raskib when she when she was on uh, as Scale the Snail, yeah. Um, but yes, and I also like that it's not just that they they didn't just say Max fat and we're gonna make fun of that. They also made fun of of Dennis being uh, completely anorexic. I, I enjoyed that as well. So there was a nice bit of balance there, which I thought was good. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so that so that was a good one, and then we also had the Archer premiere. Well, it's not quite a. Pre- Why don't you go ahead and talk? No, about it's that? it's not. It's uh, it's they tacked on three more episodes to this season. They announced it uh, earlier this year. Essentially, it seemed like they had a pretty solid season finale about uh, six months ago. But then they said, no, we're going to tack on a three part actual finale. Uh, sort of a fall. It sort of acts as a fall preview and a season finale. It's so it's. It's Heart of Archness, and uh, this week was part one. Uh, it was a pretty strong episode. I mean, you really can't go wrong with Ad- with you know um, John Benjamin and Patrick Warburton <laughs> top lining top lining a show, and then and then of course David Cross also shows up near the end. Um, I mean, we'll we'll have occasion to talk more about Archer at some point when, when whenever it is that that you catch up. But I, I I do think that it's sort of it sort of wound up strangely as the air to Arrested Development, I think, in the sense of not just because some of the cast is there, at least in animated form, particularly uh, Jessica Walters is playing a very similar character, um, but I think just in terms of the level of callbacks uh, to to previous episodes, running gags, so thick with literary and film references and, um, and, you know, deeply, I don't want to say deeply layered characters, but certainly 
characters that have that have strongly developed backstories and a, and a whole lot going on and a, and a very clear sense of, of its comic universe. Uh, so even though it, you know it's obviously it's a genre show, it's a spy parody, so that's uh, somewhat different. I think that it's the show that has come closest to sort of that Arrested Development sort of comic ambition. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly. It, it's really hard to assess this particular episode because it's part one of three. And they're going for sort of a, a bit of a bit more of an epic sweep than usual. I'll be curious to see uh, how just how big they go. Uh, but it was certainly a strong week. And I mean, you, you really can't go wrong with uh, with Patrick Warburton and you know, showing up and you know to, to add another level of of cartoon badassery to a to a show that's already got a whole lot of it. Cool. It sounds it sounds interesting, and I do look forward to catching up with Archer um, at some point in, in hopefully the near future. Friday hasn't really kicked off yet. The the Friday shows, um, so that takes us straight to Saturday and the the most recent episode of Doctor Who, which uh, of which I have a review on the website. There are. You know some nice responses back and forth discussing it. I thought it was I thought it was good, but it wasn't great. They, the premise was really strong. It was interesting, and there was of course the actors are always really strong, but at, at the end they wanted us to believe that Rory and Amy have left the TARDIS, uh, but there's still two episodes left in the season, so it's one of those things where you know that the ending is going to get undone. So that really robs the episode of of the emotional depth that it's that it's shooting for but that being said if i try to take any meta knowledge away from the episode and just look at it on its own i thought it was very good and a strong premise of a creepy hotel where there's a room for everyone that shows you your deepest fear and so it was creepy and it was well done i just didn't have the same kind of emotional connection that um, that i got watching the girl who waited which was one from last week so but yeah, only two more episodes in the seasons, and I'm going to be sorry to see Doctor Who go, but good, not great. So then on Sunday, we had the Emmys, which uh, unfortunately, we got some of those right, but we kind of uh, did not in any way predict what they were going to do with the comedies. AKA Modern Family wins everything. <laughs> AKA Modern Family wins everything. Um, I thought that the that Jane Lynch did a good job hosting. Um, I, I enjoyed the opening musical number. I know a lot of people didn't, but I liked, you know, you don't very uh, often get to see shout outs to Mythbusters and these other shows that I think are a lot of fun, but will never, you know, never seem to win the Emmy. Uh, like they, there was a shout out to Justified and Parks and Rec and some of these other ones, uh, which I appreciated for, for one. I think they got, I think we would agree that they got the drama categories like just so inspirationally correct. I was so glad mm-hmm. to, you know, happy watching it, but the almost. comedy was just like they got them almost right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I find it strange that they went out of their way to still give Mad Men best drama, even though I think, I mean, it, it was it was still a good season. I mean, it did have some great episodes, but it definitely was not for me as strong as the third. Yeah, I was just, you know, since they since they didn't get anything else for the suitcase i felt like the that was the award that they won in in recognition of the fact that the suitcase is probably one of the best episodes of television but uh yeah i would say pr- maybe they should have you know friday night Lights should have won best series and mad men should have won best writing but yeah that would have been nice that would have been a really uh, smart decision which, which, but too smart for them. Uh, I had a, you know, it was funny. I wasn't watching the ceremony because I was stuck at, at my paying job. 
Um, but uh, I was happy that I was a little bit ahead of you. You, I guess, you were tivoing it or something, and and and, and fast forwarding. Um, so I was able to uh, prevent you from getting spoiled by Margot Martindale. Yes, thank you very much for that. Uh, so <laughs> it was that, like the last, it was like perfect timing, last yeah. second, hit mute, and then I hit mute, and then it was good. So excellent. Yeah, it was good times. Um, and on Sunday we, there was also Breaking Bad, which we will talk about in our episode Spotlight. Um, but the other thing that we that we caught was the Homeland pilot. Now Homeland is a show on on Showtime, and it's not going to premiere until I believe next week, if not later. But they have put the episode up on their website, so mm-hmm. anybody who wants to can check it out. It will have some censorship um, in that you know there's some sex scenes and things are muted and blurred out. But on the most part, I would say that's a, a representation, an accurate representation of what's going to air in a little bit. So what did you think of the Homeland pilot? I thought this was really strong, uh, I know, which I, I'd heard in advance, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very finicky with my spy and conspiracy thrillers. Um, you know, I, I was a fan of Rubicon, even though it was really two shows, and one of them wasn't very good, and one of them was. <laughs> um, I, I think the Homeland pilot is more successfully uh, unified. Has a couple of dodgy moments. Uh, I thought I was going to hate it when very early on in the episode, Claire Danes, uh, you know. Uh, shout something like you're the deputy director of the fbi like it, one of those pilot moments where people <laughs> declare make declarative statements that they both know to be true uh, and therefore are redundant um yeah i i thought it was uh, really emotionally engaging i think claire danes is great i don't remember seeing damian lewis before and i think uh, he's a really interesting presence as well uh, you, you can't go wrong with mandy patinkins uh, particularly when he is dressed as a college professor and uh, I don't know, what do you think? I thought it was really good. I think it's definitely the best pilot of the fall that I've seen. And that'll probably be true uh, in a, a few weeks when, once we're all caught up with the rest of the pilots. Um, I, I have enjoyed Damien Lewis for quite a while. I saw him in, of course, he's in Band of Brothers. And also he was on Life for a few seasons. Um, so I think he's a really strong lead here. I think Claire Danes is excellent. And it's nice to have her back on, on TV. I think that, of course, Mandy Patinkin is is always a lot of fun. I, I'm kind of, you know, surprised that they that people keep casting him since apparently he's such a, a pill to work with. But, I mean, <laughs> he's good. So, yeah. Um, and then I, I heard that when they cast Marina Baccarin as Damien Luce's wife, they decided to up her role because Marina Baccarin is excellent, I think. I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the pilot that I, I'm least interested in and i think is the weakest i don't really like where they're going with that it feels too stereotypical and cliche um but you know what it reminded me of is did you ever watch the unit no no my dad loves that show but i haven't caught up yet david mamet show which which you know was half concerned with you know this elite military force and half concerned with military wives and i thought it was interesting to sort of come back to to that whole uh, aspect which is something you don't see depicted on tv too much um, that d- didn't uh, bother me. The only aspect of the pilot that irked me really was the closing sequence. You know, when we sort of, when Claire Danes's uh, sort of uh, concerns about the Damien Lewis character are somewhat confirmed in this, in a way that I thought was a little bit silly. Which you know, people haven't, a lot of people haven't gotten to see the pilot yet, so I won't explain how. But that, I wish they'd found a slightly more clever way to do that. I feel like we still don't know what that means, what we saw means. And I appreciate that. I like that there's not, I don't, at least it doesn't seem to me that there is an obvious right or wrong person in 
in this in this story, at least yet. And so I, I enjoy that they have left it at least somewhat um, up in the air. So, but I, I do think it's definitely one of the uh, one of the shows to watch out for. And if you get Showtime, I think people should check it out. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely a really strong pilot. Next, we have Monday and some more premieres. How I Met Your Mother came back. What what did you think about the the premiere? Uh, well, it was yeah they they did air two episodes on Monday. Uh, I think the first was a little stronger than the second. I I feel like at the especially near the end of last season, I started to get really tired of the way the show drags out its mythology and this you know the mysteries of of the relationships. But I do think that they sort of hit the ground running. Uh, this season, and they even kind of acknowledged that they're taking way too long uh, with some of uh, Bob Saget's narration. But I, th- I think that what they did do successfully was they brought back the sense of fun. And, you know, maybe it's just because we got stuck watching a bunch of bad comedy pilots this week, but it was just so nice to have the show back. And it's, to me, the only comedy cast on TV that, I mean, besides the Always Sunday Gang, I suppose, that that really has that this is a bunch of people I'm having a good time hanging out with vibe. And, you know, that's also the benefit of having had the show around for so long now. Uh, But I mean, it's just such a great cast and the characters are all likable, especially now that, that Mosby is back on sort of on the prowl and not, you know, being really whiny in a relationship, which is something, which is a rut the show finds itself in quite often. I will admit that it took me a little while to remember just who the hell we saw at the end of the second episode, uh, because it's been so long since the first season. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting move. Um, and hey, how about that dance sequence? That dance sequence, I think, was uh, was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, they promoted the hell out of it, so I knew it was coming, and uh, it was it would have been nice for that to be a surprise. Oh, yeah, for sure. Luckily, I I I I, uh, I missed all that, so that was a nice that was actually a nice surprise for me. Well, there you go. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought it was great to see Victoria back at the end. She's one of the loose threads that I, I felt like on a show that tends to really tie things up nicely and kind of give you sort of a where are they now for the characters that we haven't seen for a while. Victoria felt like a, a glaring omission to that, so it's nice to have her back, and we'll see where that goes. My only problem with these first two episodes is that I'm really tired of the show saying, oh, but that's a story for another time. Because they've done that so many times. There's at least at least two or three things like that that are hanging from last season. And they just set up at least two or three more. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, I mean, it's, we get it. You're different. It's a different kind of show. And you set up things and you pay them off later. But it's it's become tiresome to me. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, if they weren't having so much fun with it, I, I, I might take issue with them sort of beating a stylistic dead horse. Um, but I might, I might get more annoyed with their cleverness if they didn't have the humor to back it up. And I think, okay. I, th- I think to me, the, the, the cast and the, the, the dialogue is still so funny. Um, especially, uh, it was so nice to, I, I'd, I'd forgotten how great, um, Robin is. Uh, in particular, yeah. how how great a character she is, and and, and how great uh, Kobe Smulders. Co- Kobe Smulders, yes, and I, I I it's awful that I forgot the name of of a fellow Canadian. Um, yeah, I for, I'd forgotten how great she is in particular. Once again, we are running long, so we're gonna kind of rush through these next three or four. But we also saw the premiere of Two and a Half Men with its shiny new cast, or at least <laughs> uh, just uh, 
Kutcher was new in replacing Charlie Sheen. What did you think of that? Uh, this was the first episode of Two and a Half Men I've ever watched, which uh, is I think puts me in a rare demo since it's uh, so incredibly popular. Uh, you know, I I actually I appreciated the opening sequence to this because uh, earlier in the evening I was unfortunate enough to catch some of the roast of Charlie Sheen and it ended up being like a giant wank fest. And this was actually a somewhat appreciably mean, and and uh, and actually funny. And Melanie Linsky is so great that I'll, I'll I could pretty much watch her do anything. TV bro comedy is not really my style. And I'm not a I'm not a really a huge Ashton Kutcher fan either, so I, I knew I wasn't destined to enjoy this too much. I mean, it's certainly very polished. I mean, they've been there's a reason that they're you know that they're so huge. I can see that. I, I do think they did a, a a pretty smooth job transitioning in an awkward. I mean, they have they've had a fair amount of time to plan this out, uh, but mostly I just enjoyed the meanness of the opening in context. Yeah, I thought they did a good job with it. I think that Ashton Kutcher is going to be. I think he's going to be fine in the show. I think he'll fill that gap well, and I think he's a very likable presence. And it's nice that he's playing a different character to Kelso. I was reminded of just how successful he can be in a sitcom when he's given, you know, the right sort of character. If, you know, somebody who's supposed to be charming and likable and... I think I think he'll do fine. It's not a show that I'm particularly interested in or that I find particularly entertaining, but I think people who like Two and a Half Men should like this version of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I can't see its popularity flagging that much. But well, but of course, I've, I've been hugely wrong about this sort of thing before. And one of the other things that helped it, in, in my opinion, uh, or raised it in my estimation, was the fact that it was followed by Two Broke Girls, which I did not like at all. I thought it was terrible. And everybody else seems to love it, and I don't really understand. So what, what did you think of Two Broke Girls? Yeah, I think the reason people are digging it so much, uh, I think that's totally attributable to Kat, to Kat Dennings, who I do think is sort of a natural at this kind of thing, as it turns out. I, I do think that she's a... I, I wouldn't have thought of her as the lead for a sitcom. You know, I've, I've been seeing her in indie comedy for a really long time, and I, I hadn't thought of her as a, for this sort of thing. Uh, but I mean, the, the premise is really hackneyed. And w just like with Whitney, there's these jokes that strain for for relevance and for raunchiness and also a lot of really surprisingly labored gags involving the side characters, especially that are just so lame. Oh, but come on. Racial stereotyping is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I see where the where the fans are coming from. But I, I had the same issues with this as I did with Whitney, albeit with a with a considerably more likable lead. Yeah, I think Kat Dennings is really good. I think that what works in this pilot works because of her. Um, I think that Bre uh, Beth Beers or Bears, who's the blonde, is is fine. I think that the writing that they give her is really terrible, and so because of that, the character ends up being annoying and somebody that I am not interested in watching but I do think that the actress that is none of that is her fault I think that they could build a likable show here around Kat Dennings and Beth Bears but this is not it they haven't done it yet so mm -hmm. I don't know yeah those those bit players are just especially the the wacky old black dude who she's you know who she's you know really tight with original Saturday Night Live uh, not ready for Pine Time player Gary Morris yeah yeah, that that is just so hackneyed. Like, come yeah. on, guys. But um, yeah. So I mean, I yeah, I just I, it could become a good show, but it's not there yet. Yeah, I can get behind that. 
also we saw the premiere of Playboy Club. <laughs> yeah. Monday oh, really boy. was awesome. <laughs> so what did you think of uh, Playboy Club? Oh, this was bad. Um, and as much as I wish Amber heard all the all the good tidings in the world, this is not a, a, a good show. Remind me the name of our incredibly boring lead. Eddie Cibrian. Eddie Cibrian. Uh, I don't remember if I've seen this guy before or not, but you would think that if you're going to do a bad network version of Mad Men, that you wouldn't actually have someone doing a Don Draper impression. Like, holy crap. It's pretty telling that you don't remember him because he's been in a lot of different network shows. So that says a lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, everything about it, it just it, it's straining so hard to be stylish and straining so hard to be cool and, and hip and everything from the Hugh Hefner narration to the live bands that are incredibly canned sounding. Every note is false and every all the action is very compressed and very telegraphed. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of good going on here. I mean, as happy as I was to see Sean Maher back on TV, still, I mean, and, you know, there there are some, some good actors and some likable people here, but it's, I'm not going to check it out. It's, it did not hold my interest at all, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing mildly better things about Pan Am, the other network Madman cash-in, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. The other thing I caught last night was the Castle premiere. I thought that the season finale last year was pretty solid, so I figured I'd check back in. Castle is one of those shows where I don't follow it week to week, but if I'm looking for something to watch to kill some time and it happens to be on, or if it's on on demand or something, then I'm usually entertained when I watch it. And that's pretty much how I felt about the premiere. I thought that that it was, it was okay, but but not great. They had a lot of material to work with, that because of how the season ended oh and, and michael dorn pops up as a guest and theoretically recurring character here but yeah it just they're, they're better at comedy and so when they do drama you know now and again it it usually pays off it's a nice change of pace and the actors are good enough to make it work but it just doesn't i don't think it hits as well i don't think it's it works quite as well as as the comedy does so the show, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's it's definitely it's solid, but um, it's not wasn't one to make me want to you know make sure I watch it every week. It's not appointment television. No, no, it's not. I think oh, Penny Johnson Gerald joined the cast as the new police captain, and I think she's solid. I think she'll be good on the show. But but yeah, so it's it's the one to check out if you're looking for your Philly and fix. If if you're you like procedurals, but you know it's still not you must watch TV for me. Fair enough. So we're going to take a break now and come back with our episode spotlight and uh, do some talking about Breaking Bad's phenomenal episode this week. And uh, yeah, so stick around and we'll be right back. The beat it bang down like the wall of Jericho From the six shooter pop pop We vibrate your drop top Beretta the spitter with my mangueta Feel the drip drop Others bring it halfway like beat shoes They flip flop Chota wanna see my profile Call me Alfred Hitchcock The sound is like a gunshot The others are just pin drops My songs are like songs in the book He calls it him Hey 
And you're back with with Televerse, Sound on Sight's new TV podcast. It's time for our episode Spotlight, uh, which this week is Breaking Bad's episode from Sunday, Salud. Uh, the song that you heard during the break is Bang Data by Bang Data, and it's one of the songs featured in this week's episode. So, yeah, this was a hell of an episode, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's funny because you're less of a Breaking Bad convert than me, and you saw the episode just before I did. And you mentioned how great it was, and that's when I knew uh, it was going to be special. It's been something more than a slow burn. I think this is one of the most deliberate seasons of television I've ever seen, even by the standards of recent serialized drama. And they, they really, they really blew it all up this week. I mean, but what what I thought was interesting is there is two really noteworthy things uh, going on this week. I mean, obviously you had the big explosive finale with with Gus really, you know, taking the head off of the cartel in a really, in this really deceptively simple way, because of the way the show works, you, you, you keep waiting for that twist where you think it's going to be, well, no, he wouldn't really just do that. That's too simple. That's not, that's not, that's not Machiavellian enough, but no, that it, it is just as simple as you think, just a little bit presented in, in a more complex way. But there's something about the episode that I really want to get your input on, because I know that for you, the big block for Breaking Bad is, is Walt. Uh, the Brian Cranston character, who's, who's of course the lead, and he, the fact that he's such an awful bastard. And this week, you know, in the wake of his, you know, richly deserved beating, we see him interacting with Walt Jr. in a in a very serious way. It, it, they have this is probably the the biggest showcase for uh, for R.J. Mitt all season, if not longer than that. Uh, you know, they they have a couple of big scenes together, and he seems to be genuinely contrite. He seems to be a Someone who's really been knocked down, not just a peg, but but to their but but considerably lower than that, and it's it's the first time in a very very long time that I actually found myself sympathizing for Walt. And I would I, I what now the million dollar question for me is: Did you feel sorry for Walt this week? I felt sorry for his son, um, <laughs> because once again Walt chooses himself over his over his son and uh, makes his son complicit in. Uh, Obviously, this is not the actual case, but his cover story is that he has fallen off the wagon and is gambling again, and he asks his son to enable him and lie to his mother, and continues to be a terrible, terrible father. Yeah, Walt, in this episode, was a character, was a person, showed depths that he has not shown since the the series started, really. I thought the story we got here about his father made sense and was well-played, well-written, well-played, and... Mm-hmm. I thought that it was a well-needed reality check for Walt when when his son tells him that the the you know he has this breakdown and says that he doesn't want his son to remember him the way that he was the night before and with the fact that his son is like no that's that guy from yesterday that guy is okay the person you've been this past year that's not okay and Hopefully that will affect some sort of change in Walt. We already saw him immediately trying to back, you know, backstep from the the truth and the catharsis that we saw him experience the 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 evening before. He was already regressing back into Heisenberg mode. So hopefully this will lead us to more development with Walt's character. Because the problem I've had with Walt is that I don't feel like he's changed or developed over the course of the season or the series. I feel like he is very much the same person now that he was 
when when the show started or that he wanted to be when the show started. So if they're able to to make him grow and change and become a new version of the character we've gotten to see and gotten to know, I think it'll make for a much more interesting show. Character development is a, is a tricky idea because, you know, people don't always change. And I think it's, 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 a, it's a trap sometimes to, to always expect that the best or most interesting thing that a, that a person on a, on a TV show should do is, is to change. And I think the fact that Walt has been in a, in a, in a sort of a stasis mode for a long time makes sense for him, especially because the show doesn't take place over a very long period of time. That being said, his breakdown this week was was uh, incredibly powerful. The, the fact that he lies to Walt Jr., I didn't really take so much as him of, of him being a bad father, as a sign of that rather, mostly because it he knows that the balance of power between him and Skyler is is not fair. He knows that that Walt Jr. blames her for things that he really shouldn't. So I thought it was almost graceful of him to say, "Look." I screwed up really, really bad. This is just between us. Know that this is totally on me, and that I'm I'm off in my doing my own thing and screwing up. And and you know it's not your mom's fault. And in a way, I thought that was actually kind of nice. Uh, no, you're you're shaking your head at me. Um, but uh, especially in the context of the episode, wherein you know she does her best to give him a nice present. You know she gets him a, a very sensible PT cruiser. <laughs> uh, you know, to make to to make up for the 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 awesome car that he couldn't have, and once again she gets the the short end of the stick in ter- in terms of in terms of her son when she's just trying to be a good mother. Yeah, so, but okay, but the thing is, if you you have to look at it from the perspective of the kid, the kid doesn't know that the gambling thing is bullshit. So what what the kid just experienced is that his addict father just asked him to lie to his mother about his his gambling. So if you want to use the alcoholism or drug, you know, parallel, uh, a drug addict just fell off the wagon and asked his child to not tell the only other person that he can really confide in that this just happened. And that's a terrible burden to put on a kid. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, Walt is never going to win father of the year. I'm just saying (laughs) it was nice. It it was, it was, it was a nice shift to have something that, that went wrong, that Walt Jr. was not going to be able to pin on his, on his, you know, she might, another person who's not going to win Parent of the Year, but Skylar is clearly overburdened. Well, and it's also nice to see those two interact in a significant way, and we haven't had very much of that in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the thing that people are going to be talking about uh, with in terms of this episode is, you know, of course, the ending. I think this season's done a remarkable job. I think the writers have been extremely creative in terms of finding ways for the show to be unpredictable because on the surface there's only so many ways the show can end there's only so many paths they can take uh and i i think that i mean the show the episode ending where it does with gus in the backseat poisoned and mike shot and jesse as their only way out i think is just a brilliant reversal yeah and especially when you consider gus's original hesitancy to even tertiarily work with Jesse at all and so to have that the the character Jesse have come from such a place of dependence on others to be the one that is dependent upon I think is interesting and uh, shows a lot of shows a lot of who Jesse has become 
mm-hmm. for for better or for worse. I mean, maybe he was better off when he was just you know street level dealer, um, as opposed to now theoretical Mike in training and killing mm-hmm. people and kicking ass and taking names. Um, but it still is, I think, a very interesting path to to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that whole sequence at the end was just so the editing and 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 shooting were were so great. The not the little nod to the Godfather was nice too, uh, in terms of you know Gus coming going to the bathroom and coming back with certain doom. Um, and it, the the episode just also featured a lot of great little showcase moments. I mean, not just for Cranston and R.J. Mitt, but also uh, is it Mitty? Um, but but also, I mean, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Gus, uh, when right before he's about to collapse from his poisoning, he. He, the, the the when he's shouting at the cartel, come you know, come out and 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 you'll be you, I, I I've destroyed your I've destroyed your Don I've just I've destroyed his captains. There's nothing left to defend. That that was such a great, almost iconic moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also I mean earlier in the episode, uh, Aaron Paul taking control of the of the of the Mexican lab uh, was was awesome too. And it's also it's weirdly transgressive to have these like weird moments of of character triumph that are like really affecting in the service of the mass production of crystal meth. Sometimes you lose sight of that. <laughs> yeah. The sheer number of people whose lives are being destroyed uh, by, by, and all, by and what they're doing. Do is go, F yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Just as bad. As, well, I, and in that scene in the, the lab, as great as it was to watch Jesse get some respect, I, I particularly enjoyed the, the subtlety to the reactions of Gus and Mike, the their sense of pride and accomplishment in in Jesse and their enjoyment of his success, not just for their own sakes. I think I think there's a level of them also being happy for him, and I think that that was very well played. Yeah, yeah. Mike's little Mike doesn't really smile, but his sort of like little tiny smirk of pride when uh, when when Jesse takes over was a was a nice little moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, in an episode, people are going to remember for the big moments. There were lots of nice little ones. I mean, the only the only real uh, sort of drag to the episode was sort of dealing with Skylar and Ted. And I mean, Ted's just such an obvious loser and a goner. I mean, there's no there's no way he makes it out of this season, is there? I mean, I know they're great at surprising us, but really, come on. He's just an idiot. He is such an idiot. He is a hardcore idiot, and uh, I'm enjoying that, actually, because he's just so actively foolish and in everything that he does. He can't pick up, he can't, you know, he can't take a hint to start with, and then the fact, you know, just, wow, he's an idiot. Yeah, he's, he's just, like, one of those dumb figures that doesn't make it out of a Coen Brothers movie alive. Yeah, yeah, he would be in the wood chipper by now if it was a Cohen movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I think I will particularly enjoy his demise. I, it was nice to get Saul back, and it's funny that it was such a great episode that didn't feature Hank, mm-hmm. who is, and you know, we're we're still waiting to find out. There's just so much in the air right now, and I'm so ex- I'm so excited to find out what they're going to do with all these moving parts. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great end of season. Yeah, I think that's definitely the way it's shaping up. And I, th- I think last season did something similar. I think this this season could have an even more, dare I say, spectacular finish than last season had, which I think would be especially rewarding given just how slow a burn it's had. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like you said the, last week, I have no idea where it's going to go from here. 
because I don't think it can just go back to how it was before, particularly with Gus and Mike and Jesse and that setup, you know, what's with what's going on at the lab. So, yeah, I'm I have no idea where they're going to go. Yeah, well, Breaking Bad's always had a really fluid sense of storytelling. It doesn't have that sort of cyclical feel that a lot of uh, TV shows have when a season ends and another begins. You know, often shows will uh, find ways to, you know, sort of backtrack from their awesome season finales and sort of make things the the way they were. Um, A a really good example was uh, Chuck did that a couple seasons ago. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, they tend not to want to repeat themselves. And that's what makes the show, even for people who are hardcore TV veterans and or even people who know who who watch a lot of uh, crime films or crime drama. It's it's an exceptionally difficult show to see the moves coming. And uh, for that, you you really must give the the writing staff loads of credit. I I mean, I think we could talk about this episode for quite a while, but I mean, we're already running long. Are there any final things you want to bring up? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Great use of music, like usual. Uh, great editing, and c- c- come on, Sunday. And I'm I'm mad at the people who have screeners. That's all I have to say. Yeah, seriously. Uh, let's just send a little love out to the AMC universe. Hope hopefully they'll uh, find out we exist somehow and send us screeners because that would be amazing. Yes, it would. Um, so before we break and go into the DVD shelf segment, a couple things. Well, first of all, of course, you can always reach us at theteleverse at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at the Televerse, and you are? Uh, Sucker Howl. We also, this will be posted up at the at soundonsite.org, so feel free to leave a comment. Um, so And email us with any questions or comments or, or things that you would like to hear us talk about. And I have a particular question to send out to the listeners I had reviewed True Blood and uh, Torchwood over the summer, and those shows have both wrapped up. And in the next few weeks, Doctor Who is going to wrap up. And so I will not be reviewing any shows that are currently in the air. So I was I wanted to pick a new show to start reviewing for the for the website. And I'm curious if, if people have any feedback of what they would like to see me cover. I was thinking of maybe Fringe or Supernatural, but, you know, there's lots of other great shows on the air that, that I really enjoy. So if, uh, if people would like to weigh in with their two cents about the, what they're interested in and what they'd like to see Sound On Sight cover, um, they should either you know send me a tweet or an email to, to the Televerse, um, post a comment, that sort of a thing. Now, are there any particular things upcoming uh, for the website or for TV this week that you're looking forward to? Uh, well, um, I mean, we, we, we've got Fringe coming back. Very curious to see uh, what, what they're going to do there. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm quite curious about a lot of the incoming pilots, I'm, uh, especially uh, Terra Nova, which may end up being awful, but I'm always curious about new, new genre television. Um, and yeah, I echo the sentiment about uh, what people want to hear about. I mean, Breaking Bad's over in three weeks, and then I won't be writing about anything weekly uh, unless something from this uh, season turns out to be exceptionally incredible that I'll st- want to start writing about it weekly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, whatever people feel like we're neglecting, let us know and we'll do our best. So we're going to take a break here and listen to some, some more music and, and go get into our DVD shelf segment with Paul Goebel from the Paul Goebel show. It was a lot of fun talking to him. So, uh, yeah, have a listen and let us know what you think. That's where they are now for this Tuesday. Matthew Brock, WNYX News Radio. Bill? 
Uh, thank you, Matthew, for that unusual report. WNYX News Time, 1245. They didn't kiss, but they did. What's going on, guys? Um, Matthew, I, I think you mispronounced that guy's name a few times. What? Uh, it, it, it's Joey Butterfly. No, it isn't, Matthew. <laughs> It's, uh, but a Fuko. But a Fuko. What, what did I say? Well, Matthew, of all the possible mispronunciations of that name, you seem to have stumbled upon absolutely the worst one. I, I don't know what you mean. Think about it. Nice job, Matthew. My cab driver really got a kick out of that. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, I'm on it, okay? Well, if you were really on it, Dave, we wouldn't be doing a story about Joey but a Fuko in the first place. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. So you, you sort of see it now, huh? Oh, God. That's good. Welcome back. You're listening to The Televerse with Kate Kalsik and Simon Howell, and it's time for a selection from the DVD shelf. This week, we're excited to welcome to the show a man you may know as the winner of TV Land's Ultimate Fan Search and as the TV geek from Comedy Central's Beat the Geeks. He's an actor and stand-up comedian whose credits include appearances on Curb Your Enthusiasm and Will and Grace, among others, and he's the host of The Paul Goebel Show. It's the king of TV, Mr. Paul Goebel. Thanks for coming on, Paul. Oh, it's uh, great to be here. Sounds like you got that right off my website. Nice to hear my own writing and someone else's voice. Okay. (laughs) Good times. The show that you chose uh, to talk about for this week was News Radio. So uh, what made you pick that show? Well, um, you know, when you asked me to talk about uh, a a DVD, um, you know, that I thought everybody should watch, my first thought was News Radio. And uh, and a lot of people know that, you know, my favorite sitcom of all time is uh, is Bosom Buddies. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not a show that is to everyone's liking. And, uh, And it's certainly not. Uh, you know, a, a, a history-making sitcom uh, in any way. Whereas News Radio is a show, uh, a sitcom that uh, kind of uh, gets forgotten when you talk about great sitcoms and great TV shows throughout history. Um, partly because, you know, its life was cut short along with the life of uh, Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, one of the reasons. It only survived for one more season after he, after he was murdered. Sadly, and and it shows too. If you watch the show, you know obviously they replaced him with, uh, with John uh, Lovitz, you know who is funny and all, but he's certainly no Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. So you can see the show uh, just uh, didn't have quite what it had when he was on it. But it, it's one of uh, I mean before, in my opinion, before uh, Arrested Development premiered, it was probably the closest thing to the perfect sitcom um, that there ever was on TV, because it had. Uh, it had great, great characters. The cast was phenomenal. Um, everybody was really funny. And I remember reading once that uh, Dave Foley himself described them as the Asia of comedy. <laughs> um, you know, because like Asia, they all, everyone on that show uh, had, you know, had done different things, uh, different great things in comedy before. You know, of course, he was in Kids in the Hall. Phil Hartman was on SNL. Andy Dick had just come off um, the Ben Stiller show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so you had guys like you had you had all of them doing uh, doing great stuff on their own. And then they were all brought together to uh, to be really funny on the show. And they were, you know, all in their own way. 
they used, you know, Phil Hartman, uh, his character Bill McNeil was, you know, so great as the pompous uh, newsman. He he was like Bill O'Reilly before there was a Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was, uh, and he was really funny. Plus, um, you know, great ideas, uh, scripts that definitely, you know, thought outside the box, and a lot of great uh, guest stars on episodes. You know, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross and Brian Posehn each guest starred on, uh, you know, different episodes. Like, they reach on twice mm -hmm. in two different episodes. You know, so uh, guest stars like that, and even John Lovitz was on uh, twice before he joined the cast. He was on as two different characters before he joined the cast as a regular. So you had all the great, great, uh, great co comedians and great characters all together. Then plus you had what was definitely the leads. You know, Dave Foley was, you know, clearly the center of the show, and yet... He was still very funny, unlike, you know, on Andy Griffith. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Andy Griffith used to say that he was the genius of the show because he made sure everyone around him was funny while he was the straight man. And that's certainly, uh, you know, true as far as that goes. But Dave Foley took it a step farther because not only was everyone around him funny, but he himself was hilarious. He, you know, he was able to, to use that to his advantage and, you know, and be the star of the show and still also be part of this great uh, you know, this great cast, this great ensemble. I absolutely agree. Let's uh, step back a moment um, in case anybody who's listening hasn't actually heard of News Radio. Um, and so this is a show set uh, or that was on NBC for five seasons um, in the late 90s and uh, followed a news crew in New York uh, as they got into various, um, I, I think you can say hijinks, right? With this cast oh, of characters, identified. Um, but yeah, it has an incredibly strong cast with Dave Foley and Stephen Root and Maura Tierney. I would say as the the core, and then we have this cast of colorful characters all around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember it was amazing to me a show where everybody was funny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, much like Monty Python, where you know uh, everyone is is the funny one. You know, there was no straight man on the show. Everyone had something funny to do. Uh, you know, uh, at least in one episode, you know, uh, somebody, everyone would find something to, to be, to be funny about. And, you know, even though, uh, and they switched it up, you know, uh, obviously Dave Foley and Maura Tierney there, you know, they had a relationship for a while and then, you know, they broke off that relationship and then, you know, they were on again and off again. So it wasn't necessarily a sitcom that just focused on that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a while, uh, Maura Tierney took over as the boss. Uh, she was the program director there, you know, and, and so they switched it off that, that way uh, just to shake things up. It, it was really um, interesting. Also interesting to see Maura Tierney do comedy. That's something, you know, she hasn't done. I, I don't think she's been on a sitcom since then, you know. Uh, yeah, she on ER for so many years, uh, wasted in my opinion, mm -hmm. and uh, and doing uh, you know on the whole truth and then rescue me, mm -hmm. and uh, you know doing great stuff certainly, but not not near as funny as she was when she was on news radio. And some of these people have you know that was the best thing they've ever done. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, look at Andy Dick; he's tried so hard to do. You know, to do other comedy since, and they they all pale in comparison. Mm -hmm. You know, it just and Joe Rogan is another example. The guy, uh, he's a funny comedian, but he's never been funnier than when he was on news radio. 
Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree, actually. Um, one of the things that... Because I watched the show back when it was on, or maybe shortly thereafter, when it would replay on Comedy Central all the time. And so when I was uh, watching some of the episodes again to, to prepare for this conversation, I was struck by just how broad so many of the characters were, because I didn't remember that element of it. And it was very surprising to me to see a show that had that many different... Uh, larger-than-life characters still manage to work, and like it would be easy on a different show for somebody like uh, Phil Hartman's character to, to just take over the entire show, but they managed to, and I don't know who gets the credit for this, if it would be Paul Sims or the writers or the actors, but they managed to, I think, strike a balance very well. I think one thing that really helps is that uh, I, I didn't see the original run. I, I probably saw a little bit of it when I was younger, but I actually just caught up on a bunch of it this week. And one thing I noticed is that uh, no matter how uh, sticky some of the characters can occasionally be, they're generally not one-dimensional. Uh, it's especially take a character like uh, like Vicky Lewis's character, who at first you you might think is just going to be like the typical dumb secretary. Uh, but she really isn't. I mean, she does have those tendencies sometimes, uh, definitely. But she's also one of the sort of uh, one of the most sparkling uh, wits on the show, on, uh, uh, quite a lot of the time. So it's and and even and the Phil Hartman character also. Yes, he's he's dickish, but he's also uh, very intelligent and uh, and and conniving. And generally speaking, these are not just one-sided characters. Yeah, and he's good at his job. One thing that I always hate about, um, especially workplace comedies, is um, you know the person uh, who works there, one or two people who work there, they're really funny, but they're really bad at their job, for, and for some reason they continue to work there. Mm-hmm. And it always, and people complain, "Oh, you're so terrible! I should fire you!" You know, and they never do, and it drives me crazy. Whereas on this show, uh, Beth was certainly wisecracking, but she was good at her job. She was uh, she was a good secretary. And, uh, and, you know, and uh, Bill McNeil, he was hard to work with, but people tuned in to hear his voice. So, again, everybody was good at their job. The only one who maybe that was uh, uh, not the case was Matthew, Andy Dick's character. But they made it very clear over and over again that they couldn't fire him because he was like their mascot. Well, he and was... he did get fired. <laughs> that's true. That's right. At one point he did get fired and went back to uh, being a, uh, a dentist. But yeah, but then but they wanted him back so much, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, uh, they and 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 they made it clear why the the place just wasn't this, wasn't the same without him. I also like the fact that you know, like in real life, there is a hierarchy in the office. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whereas Dave is the boss uh, ostensibly, he does what he can to run the place, but he also knows some people are unable to be managed, and he doesn't try. Whereas, and he also knows that the real boss, of course, is Jimmy James, who will and does come in at a moment's notice and just does whatever he wants. And he doesn't get frustrated uh, about that. He knows that's just the way that place works. And and that, that's one of the things I loved about the show the most, Stephen Root's character just uh, doing things that a crazy millionaire will do. <laughs> yeah, very funny stuff. One of my favorite episodes is the big bonus Oh, episode. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know where Dave is. You know so upset about the big bonus, and everybody shows their their character. You know to a T in that episode. The, my favorite part is Beth says, "You know, Dave, give me the big bonus. I'll get you a cup of coffee." <laughs> Jokingly, and he says, "Okay, Beth." 
And then she goes, you called my bluff, Dave. <laughs> and she's not even willing to get a cup of coffee for the big bonus, and it's very funny. And then Bill, of course, assumes he's going to get it. And then, you know, uh, Dave gives it to Catherine, who plays them all. And then at the end, Jimmy comes in and says, oh, by the way, give this to this person and this to this person. And that's how it works there. Mm-hmm. And everybody has their role to play, and everybody knows their relationship with each other. And, you know, that's that's like the episode that, that kind of solidifies everyone's character and what they do. That episode also features uh, Candy Alexander in a, in, a, in, a pretty, in a pretty important role. And I'd never associated her with comedy at all, mostly because I, I'm most familiar with her work in Treme, and she's great. Yeah, she's yeah, she's an awesome actress, and you know she was on CSI Miami too, which uh, you know I used to watch when it when it premiered, and you know she's she's beautiful and she's a, a good dramatic actress, but she's really funny on the show, and she also holds up a lot of the show by being the only person of color. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a sea of white people, and you know she's the she's the only one, and and so anytime there's a reference to a, a black issue, there's the the rap episode where bill is all up in arms about rap music Mm -hmm. uh you know she is the brunt of many uh many jokes about black people and black culture and she plays it really well and so she takes on a lot of responsibility for that too but it's not a defining element of her character which is something that i I really enjoy she's not just the black woman on the you know the way that you can see that pop up on other shows that have a token um, person of color. So I appreciate that you still get that perspective from her. Yeah. Um, the, For example, in the episode when the heating is broken and so they're all having different daydreams. Her daydream is working in an office where she's not the only black person. Right. Um, so, so like you still every now and again you get that mention or that element of in the to the character but it's not a defining trait for her. Right, because it would it, it would makes it makes perfect sense that every once in a while she would think to herself, "Well, it sure would be nice if there was at least one other black person mm-hmm. working in this office or another person of color." Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, that's going to go through your mind. But but like you said, it's not her defining characteristic. She's not all about uh, you know being the sister every episode or you know and nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. She's just there to do her job like everyone else is. One of the my favorite things about re. Uh reintroduce myself to this show, the series, was just how great so many of the the guest appearances are. Just even something like Jon Stewart coming on as Matthew's twin brother. Uh, right. It's just fantastic. I mean, because I've, I've seen Jon Stewart in a few other things, but I think I enjoyed this uh, this performance more than anything else I've seen him in. Yeah, it's, it's strange to see because, you know, a lot of, he hasn't been an actor for so long mm-hmm. and even when he was an actor he wasn't that great but he uh you know he's in uh he, he plays a major role in that episode and uh and he's very funny in it in a very john stewart way and it's and it's interesting to see um another one of my favorite guests is uh john ritter mm-hmm. in uh in that episode and uh, and again, it reminded me because, you know, he had been off of TV for so long after he had done that. And, you know, you watch that and go, boy, John Ritter, he was really funny. He wasn't just the guy from Three's Company, man. He had some comedy chops. Absolutely. And, just, and it's just filled with with great guest stars. And then, you know, towards the end of the season, uh, you know, people forget Patrick Warburton uh, mm-hmm. had a recurring character, you know, as Jimmy's nemesis. And, and again, so great. 
and so funny, you know, doing what he does so much better than that crappy sitcom he's on now. I'll uh, plead the fifth on that one because I haven't actually, <laughs> I haven't actually checked it out. Nothing about yeah. it has made me want to devote any time to it as much as I do enjoy Patrick Warburton. But yeah, but yeah, there you go. Something uh, something I found interesting about uh, watching it for the first time, really, and then reading up on it was it seems to me that the mid '90s was a time when NBC was much more meddlesome with their sitcoms. Um, you know, if you look at what Dan Harmon's getting, Dan Harmon's getting away with murder on Community, and yeah. uh, if if you look at what they put uh, news radio through in terms of, you know, for instance, the whole rat funeral thing, trying to shoehorn them into a Four weddings and a funeral theme, which right. great great idea, guys. Uh, and I, but I, I, I love the the sort of little flip ways they they deal with their uh, with their tasks. Yeah, it's funny that you know that was you know back in the day when especially NBC was really hands on with stuff. And you know, news radio was one of those shows that uh, people didn't watch partly because it moved around the schedule so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and networks, these days, that's one thing that networks have finally learned not to do. They put on a show and they leave it there. And, you, you know, and you talk about shows like Community, you know, nowadays uh, NBC puts on, you know, puts their show, puts their sitcom on and it lives or dies in that time slot. You know, look at the stuff like uh, Outsourced mm-hmm. uh, or, or Perfect Couples. They didn't go, oh, let's try it on Fridays or Wednesdays. They just went, no. These shows are are no good, and they're not getting ratings, so they're yanked. Uh, you know, and they did, and then and then by the other token, they don't you know take take Thirty Rock and and go. All right, this show's great. Everybody's watching it. Let's move it to Tuesdays at eight to anchor our new night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, they they've learned their lesson with that, and so and you know, but back then, they thought. I think it was honestly they they were coming off of you know being so popular for so long with Seinfeld and Cheers and stuff. They were like, we can do whatever we want, and we can do. And they used to do a lot of that crap, like four weddings and a funerals, on Thursday nights. You know, whereas it was the blackout in New York, and every show deals with the blackout uh, mm-hmm. this week. You know, or hey, Chug, look at this great crossover. Uh, here's the guys from ER are now on Friends. You know, and junk like that. That just it wasn't even it wasn't even creative. It wasn't even interesting to, to see, and. And they had to, you know, but news radio wasn't a popular enough show that they could say, no, we're not going to do that. And, you know, and so they kind of suffered. But, yeah, it is kind of weird to watch it and go, oh, what is that about? Because it does seem out of place. And it's not unless you know why they're doing that. That's one of the things that I actually really enjoy about it. Um, it's two things. First of all, the fact that when the it's so different from what we have now, but the the, stu- the network is trying to get them to do longer arcs, and, and they're, the producers and cre- creators are fighting for, no, we want it to be standalone. That's mm-hmm. so, so different from the television landscape now. Um, and then also just things like uh, Dave and Lisa get together in the second episode. Right. They, they don't do the will-they-won't-they, they, you know, stereotypical BS. They, you know, the writers make decisions and go with them, and I, it's something that I appreciate. Yeah, it's and it's funny because uh, you know to me, you know, uh, you might see that and go, "Gosh, there was they just ran, they, you know, they ran head first into that relationship." But to me, what they said is, everyone knows they're going to get together. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's fast forward this and get and mine comedy out of the actual relationship. Mm-hmm. 
And to me, that is funny stuff. You know, all the stuff that happens, um, all the stuff that happens during their relationship, like, uh, um, you know, when they go home, uh, when they go to Dave's house for Christmas and there's nobody there, but that dog, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, um, the, one of my favorite episodes ever is, uh, when, uh, you know, how Dave is, uh, constantly causing arguments because it gets her hot, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it puts her in the mood mm-hmm. and, and that's hilarious to me, you know, that she gets in the, she gets, you know, she gets hot by arguing with people because she had to quit the debate team because she almost got pregnant. (laughs) You know, that's, that's incredible. And so, and it shows so much of their character and you can't do that unless they're, you know, in a full on relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that was the smart thing to do. As the show progressed over the seasons, it got, at least in my opinion, increasingly absurdist and ridiculous. And, uh, that's one of the things that I, because I'm a big fan of community and space and shows like that. So um, episodes like um, News Radio in Space, for example, or News Radio on the Titanic, um, were, were I think really interesting and fun. And it was, it's nice to have a show that's not too shoehorned into reality to the point where they don't explore places they think they can get jokes from. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty first of all it's pretty bold to do something like that to take a whole week off from what might what people might be coming back to see and show something totally different and also you know what if that's the week where someone decides to watch it for the first time mm-hmm. you know and goes what the crap is this the tight does they do this every week they're on the titanic every week i don't get it you know that's a bold move but it's also it's so brilliant because it allows for so much comedy and you know that's uh, obviously community has taken a page out of that you mm-hmm. know doing uh like uh the D episode and things like that uh you know it, it, that's why some people you, you talk to they, they when they talk about community they say they hate it they say i hate community i, I, I you know i refuse to watch it because they don't they don't appreciate that kind of stuff you know that's that's crazy to me personally but mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they can't get their mind around it, you know. I heard um, that uh, the big uh, ending, you know, because in the last season they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They uh, they do a cliffhanger and they all go off to New Hampshire to work at the radio station. <laughs> um, and they didn't do one of those at the end of the season. Um, but the plan was to do a Planet of the Apes episode. Oh, that would have been <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they all work at the uh, they all work at the at the radio station, but. Uh, I wasn't. I, I I don't know if they were all going to be apes working at the radio station or be working for apes who ran the radio station. <laughs> but that, that would have been great to see. You know, you, uh, and you, you, don't, you don't get to see stuff like that. Yeah. You mentioned the the fifth season, and uh, it's obviously the first episode of the fifth season is the first one after uh, Hartman's death. And I made sure to watch that because I was really curious as to how they would uh, deal with that, and I found it just unbearable to watch. It's really sad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, I remember when that happened very distinctly. You know, I had uh, just moved to, to L.A. shortly, shortly before that. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a day job. And, you know, I watched the whole thing unfold on, on TV. And all I could think was my two favorite TV shows are now ruined. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I knew, obviously, the Simpsons would continue without him, but it wouldn't be the same. 
mm-hmm. without Lionel Hutz and uh, Ka, uh, uh, and um, Troy McClure, and that really bummed me out. But I said, but news radio, there's no way they're going to survive. Mm-hmm. They cannot uh, keep going without without Bill. And you know, the funny thing was, I was uh, um, I got cast in the season premiere of Third Rock from the Sun uh, mm-hmm. that summer. And um, it was, and he was in the finale. I don't know if you ever watched Third Rock from the Sun, but mm-hmm. in the season finale of Third Rock from the Sun, he kidnaps Phil Hartman's character, kidnaps French Stewart. So they had all this, you know, all these ideas to come back for the season premiere, and then all of a sudden he's murdered, and they had to rewrite it. And I was there uh, for the new script, and it was very strange. It was a very strange vibe on that set. Um, but to see that come back and you see, well, because everybody who watches the show thinks, what are they going to do? How are they going to explain it? And I think they did the right thing by saying, yeah, uh, Bill died. He had a heart attack because then it lets them, you know, go ahead and mourn for him as well as his character in a very real way. And, uh, you know, and Catherine comes back uh, to do the same. And it's almost like it reminded me of uh, when Jack Sue died on Barney Miller. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, they took an episode out to speak to the camera. The actors, you know, basically eulogized him uh, in one episode and showed clips, and it was very cool. And then they never talked about it again. Uh, you know, they didn't go quite that far on news radio, but they made sure this, you know, he was a great guy, and we're going to miss him a lot. And it was very cool. Um, it was super sad, but still very funny, you know, in the way that it should have been. That's what's remarkable about it to me, because, you know, when you watch it, it is really emotional, at least it was for me to watch, um, but it's still really funny. Yeah. Uh, there's still lots of great humor in there, even from the Bill character, despite the fact that he's gone with with the letters, and, you know, so they have a way of bringing him and his sense of the character and Phil Hartman's sense of humor into the episode, even, you know, while they're paying tribute to him. So I, I, I thought they did a really good job with that episode. Yeah, and that's a credit to the writing, obviously. You know, they the mm-hmm. writers were so in touch with these characters and knew exactly what they would do. You know, what would Bill do after he was dead? What would he say? And they were able to still write that without Phil Hartman even being around. And that's, you know, that's a pretty brilliant thing. Yeah. So the, the show, by most accounts, most people... Um, would consider the the last season to be not quite up to the the par of the other seasons because of the loss of of Bill. Um, and I don't know how much of that, if any, can really be put against John Lovitz or his performance or the writing of that character. Do do you have an opinion on on news radio after uh, the loss of Phil Hartman? Well, I uh, you know I was never a big fan of John Lovitz anyway. So when I heard he was replacing him, I I thought well this, you know, it's not going to be as good. But, of course, it's not going to be as good. Uh, he was so great. There's no way it can be as good. Uh, I will give John Lovitz credit making the character different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was a different kind of pompous jackass. Um, and uh, and he was certainly funny in his own way. But it was just like, you know, for me, I was always a big fan of Phil Hartman. And if you know he's gone, you know who they they can't they simply can't replace him, and it's uh, you know it's just one of those things. I, I don't imagine anyone who watched that show and wasn't a big fan of Phil Hartman. You know why would you watch it otherwise? So it's hard, it it's just hard to find something you know to replace that to go. Yeah, 
John Lovitz, he's he's just as good in his own way because it's it simply isn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, he did funny stuff, but you know I think I think that's why they brought in Patrick Warburton, quite frankly, because they needed you know they wanted him to uh, to fill out the cast some and have some more of a because Bill, while everyone loved Bill, he was also kind of the villain of the show, you mm-hmm. know, always uh, out for himself and uh, and uh, trying to sabotage other people's business. And uh, and Max was just a little too weak to, to be that guy. People didn't cower uh, from him the way they did from Bill. And so, uh, you know, bringing in, uh, what was his name, Jimmy Johnson, I think was, uh, you know, part of a reaction to that. Somebody who people were kind of afraid of and didn't like, you know. And it, yet at the same time, uh, people were kind of hypnotized you know what I mean? Oh, uh, mm-hmm. by by his whole powerful, his uh, his grab for power. Yeah, it was a it's an interesting. I, mean, I I still enjoy the the last season of the show, but it's definitely an interesting sort of case study to to look at how something like the death of one of your main characters can affect a TV show. Which fortunately, I couldn't think of very many examples to compare it to. So that's no, I suppose I, a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it doesn't often happen, and it's and you know, there's always different things. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's an ancillary character uh, mm-hmm. who wasn't really germane to the show, and they will, you know, they'll replace them, uh, replace it with a different actor, or they'll just write the character out, and uh, it's no big deal. Um, you know, sometimes uh, the show like just doesn't continue. I remember when Red Fox was on the Royal Family, and then he died. Shortly after it premiered, it was like, well, that show's done now. Who I don't yeah. know who was watching the royal family in the first place, but uh, why bother going on? You know, mm-hmm. I think they tried to replace him with Jack A. Uh, you know, which hey, I, I love Jack A. as much as the next guy, but she's no Red Fox. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's weird to see, especially when it's an ensemble like that. Somebody who is so clearly, it's like a, it's like a, uh, you're looking at a great puzzle. And there's a piece missing, and it and it's glaring. You know that's what I liken it to. You, you you finish this puzzle, but there's a piece missing. And regardless of how long it took you to do this puzzle, it it's never the it's never something you can be proud of, and you can you can look at as you know complete because that one little piece is missing. And that's what it was like for me watching the final season. That there was always that piece missing. Yeah, that's bring it around uh, this is overall even with a diminished fifth season it's still a great show and definitely one that I, I thank you for for picking this one so we got a chance to talk about it yeah I'll, you know it's it's weird to me how many people didn't watch news radio when it was on because I mean when it was on it was my favorite show and, and it was like something I looked forward to every week and and it, you know I think had uh, had it continued it would you know it would have picked up steam and it would have, uh, you know, gone on to be thought of, you know, the way Arrested Development is, as like, man, did you, you, I used to watch that show every week, it was so great, and, you know, people would have went on uh, to big things from it, but, um, but it, you know, I, it just it just got cut short, and so, uh, so that, you know, that simply didn't happen, but it's it's always good to, to, to find people who were fans of it, that's kind of a, uh, a barometer. You can tell if people really have a good sense of humor if they enjoyed news radio. Yeah. If, if you know, if you meet someone and they didn't enjoy news radio, you want to back up. And nobody <laughs> watched. And nobody watched Arrested Development either. So that's another good barometer for you. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I you know, it's, that's such a weird thing. You know, Arrested Development, especially now, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Bateman can't appear in public without people saying, will there be an Arrested Development movie? Mm-hmm. And I want to turn to those people and say, did you watch the show when it was actually on? Mm-hmm. Then, oh, no? Then shut up. <laughs> it's your fault that the show got canceled. So you don't get to see the movie. <laughs> no, you can watch it on DVD just like you watch the TV show, you a-hole. That's what I said. <laughs> nice. You just uh, look at them and say boo. And I boo. It's what I do. I loudly boo. <laughs> I turn to Jason Bateman and I yay. Unless he's, in that, unless he's talking about that crappy change-up movie, then I boo. <laughs> okay. Good to you know know where the line is. That's That's, that's great. You got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, do we have any final thoughts on news radio, Simon? Uh, well, personally, as I'm sure we'll get into in the future of the show, you know, multi-camera uh, studio audience comedy isn't usually my bag, uh, and it, it's you know it's not usually something I, I return to often. But I do think news radio is a cut above uh, definitely the great majority of those shows. I, I laughed a lot at the uh, segment of the show that I did get to watch was what roughly the first. 12 episodes and then sort of skipping along through the rest. Uh, I'm hoping I'll have time to catch up on uh, the rest of the series at some point when I uh, have less of a life. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's a, it's a good show that because, I mean, it's only five seasons and you can catch up on it, you know, pretty quick. And also you can watch one season and then, you know, put it away for a while and come back for the next season. I also want to say this. Um, I don't go see a lot of, you know, living in L.A., uh, there's opportunities to always go see shows being taped. Mm-hmm. And I don't go do that a lot. I did when I first moved here, but I stopped after I went and saw a taping of news radio. I went with my co-host, Jim Bruce, mm-hmm. from the Paul Goebel Show, and his wife. And it was one of the greatest things I had ever done. Because usually a, a TV taping is really, it can be kind of boring. Uh, because there's a lot of downtime and, you know, and it's not, you end up watching a lot of it on the monitor anyway, anyway, but uh, it's not, it's not so great. But when we went to see news radio, not only was the warm up guy really funny, his name was Alan Murray and he actually appears in a couple episodes, Mm -hmm. but they had a band there to uh, play during the downtime, which was nice. But what made it especially great was Phil Hartman, Andy Dick and Joe Rogan all at, separate times throughout the taping came up into the audience to entertain us. And that was, and that was an amazing thing. You know, Phil Hartman comes up and, uh, and um, he's talking uh, like the, the warmer guy was talking to this little girl and she was doing like animal noises or something. And it caught Phil's eye and he comes up and he goes, "Uh, what? And he starts talking to her. What's your name? And she, and then he goes, hi everyone. I'm Troy McClure. (laughs) <laughs> and he does a whole Troy McClure bit, and he says, "But today I'm here to talk to you about pederasty." And it was, really <laughs> it was like standing right next to me, and I just thought, "Wow, he's doing Troy McClure right here." And you know, and Joe Rogan did some jokes, and Andy Dick acted like an a hole, and I was like, "These guys are all doing their best stuff." And I thought it not only made made you know the whole experience that much greater, but I just thought, "Wow, look at how much fun they're having," you know. They could be doing anything. They could be going back to their dressing room. Uh, they could be eating. They could be doing whatever, making phone calls, writing scripts in their downtime. But instead, they're coming up here to, you know, to talk to us and uh, and have fun with us. And they must be having a great time on this show. You know? mm. and, and that and that always stu- stuck with me uh, as as you know as a special thing. Yeah. 
I think you can tell when the people involved in, in something really care about it and are genuinely happy to be there. Yeah, there's something it comes through, I think, at the performances. And you could tell that they all made each other laugh as well. And that's that's always fun. You know, they're not, not only are they making you laugh, but they're clearly making each other laugh. And that that's you know, that's always nice. There's some you can find some great blooper um, reels on YouTube from the filming of this. And it's great because I'm not used to watching things that have were recorded with a live studio audience, so it's great to watch the uh, during the bloopers, watch the actors interact with the audience and, and vice versa. And so it's yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of great you know, speaking of bloopers, there's a lot of good, you know, uh, bonus footage on uh, you know unlike unlike a lot of uh, box sets, you know, you buy the box set of news radio and it's pretty small. You know, you can get everything on it. It fits on twelve discs. But there's still a lot of good bonus material. So you learn a lot about the show as well. Cool. That's great. Well, uh, Paul, where can our listeners find you? Uh, well, if you uh, want to listen to my podcast, uh, The Paul Goebel Show, you can, of course, find it on iTunes and all your all your podcast needs. And we uh, we just had Paul F. Tompkins on last week, and he was really funny. Uh, we, we talk about, um, you know, TV and just what's going on and uh, have a good time. You can also listen to it at my website, thekingoftv.com. And there's, uh, you know, all the episodes are there to listen to, as well as my blog. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Paul Goebel Show. And, you know, feel free to friend me, uh, friend me on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was great. Oh, thank you. I had a great time. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 